0: and welcome. I'm Megan Crabtree, and one of my favorite times of the day is when I'm getting ready and can throw on a true crime case without distraction. Every week, we dive into a new case while you grab your makeup, sip your coffee, and get ready with murder. When I was looking for cases to cover this week, I found an article about the murderer who is officially up for parole next year. And when I read through the case, guys, I was appalled that anyone who did what they did, could possibly have the option of being paroled as soon as he is. This case needed to be covered for continued justice for this victim. So we are hopping across the pond this week to South Wales. This is the case of Rebecca... Aylward. Rebecca Aylward, or as most of her friends and family called her Becca, well, she was born on February 25th, 1995, to her parents John and Sonia. She was their first baby, and as you can imagine, so very loved. She was so smart and loved her mama fiercely. They had an amazing relationship. When her siblings were born, she became like most siblings do, the older one, they become like the mother hen, and she loved on them, and she was bossing them around. It was always in the best way, though. I hope I've got some millennials listening right now, because Becca was like the emphasis of what we lived out in the 2010s. She was living her best scene life. Like she had that haircut from MySpace that we all tried really hard to copy and paste on ourselves and it just like never looked right. Well, it was really cute on Becca. As Becca went through school, she continued to stand out. She was helpful and kind and she just genuinely had the sweetest and most nurturing heart. As she got older into her teen years, Becca decided that she was going to grow up and study law and eventually become a barrister. Becca was also like a typical teen. I mean, she daydreamed about romance and we all once did. I I mean, come on. She eventually did fall into her first real teenage love affair with a boy named Joshua Davies. Becca and Josh had a typical school crush relationship. They noticed each other in 2008 at the ripe ages of 12, which is aging me. similar to Becca. Josh was a really good kid growing up. He came from a great family. He had a wide group of friends. He made straight A's and he was really into video games. Now, there was one oddity that people recognized about Josh, which was that when he was young, like like nine years old, he developed this weird obsession with antique knives and guns. Like, I'm talking as he got older, the walls of his bedroom were filled with swords and guns and knives. If I was this kid's friend, I'd be like, you okay, bro? But, you know, his friends said that while his obsession was, quote, slightly unhealthy, unquote, they didn't think that it would result in, you know, anything bad. So when Becca and Josh initially met, they both had an interest in video games and they actually ended up growing closer by playing them together. It was 2009 when they made their teenage romance official. Becca was obviously crushing on him for a while. So she was just ecstatic. He had hit a crazy growth spurt and he was like six feet tall and they would just, you know, look so adorable together, like walking through school and all the things. As school went on though, they continued to do well. I mean, they both got good grades. They just enjoyed their time together. Josh would end up developing an interest in drawing and writing around this time too. And this is where it starts to get a little bit weird, like as if the guns and swords and stuff weren't weird. His stories and drawings, like they primarily focused on gory murders. And drawing like really creepy monster-like figures that were usually inspired by video games that he played. His friends clearly knew about his interests because they actually nicknamed him Psycho. I mean, I don't know. If my bestie's nickname was Psycho, we would probably be chatting about some mental health options to get them some help. At the same time, they were all just kids, so no one really could have known what was about to come. So they did the typical teenage thing. You know exactly what I'm talking about, especially my mom. Millennial listeners, there was something about pursuing a whirlwind romance in the 2010s era at like 15, 16 years old that was just perfect. Your entire world revolved around that person. And sure, it probably wasn't healthy at all times, but it is what we did. And honestly, it was how we learned. It was, you know, how we figured out what was good and what wasn't good in a relationship. So when Becca and Josh started dating, Becca's family like immediately took him in. They trusted Becca and her judgment. She'd always been a great kid and they had no reason not to love on Josh and accept him. Josh actually really liked Becca's family too, which as a mom myself, I would see that only as a green flag, right? You watch all of these movies and usually the romantic partner is a red flag, like, Immediately and just doesn't connect with the family in these relationships and tends to like isolate their partner. But that was not the case with Josh. He really had everyone fooled. He was polite. He was great with Becca's siblings. He was respectful and kind. There was zero reason to believe that, again, what was about to happen would happen. So, Sonia, Becca's mom, while her and Josh in particular would build like a really great bond, Sonia had been a huge advocate in her daughter's case and she would later clarify that even though at the time she didn't notice anything weird about Josh, she could look back and see a few weird signs there was a time when the family was just hanging out together watching a tv show doing as you do and something happened on the show like i don't know what they were watching but they started talking about the Ku klux klan and it was involved in this tv show and josh would make this like super weird explicit comment that i'm going to paraphrase but basically he said that he wanted to join the kkk like what bro what a freaking weird comment so now becca and her family were like clue really uncomfortable, Becca did what most 15-year-olds would do in a situation like that. And they tried to make it like, Oh, Josh is just joking around, you know, trying to make it so like nobody's uncomfortable because I can imagine like the vibes in that room just got like super awkward. So now Becca and her family were very clearly like uncomfortable. Well, after Josh left that night, Becca and her mom would have this conversation like what the heck was that even about? And Becca was really mature about this because as a teenage girl, once myself, I don't know what I would have done in this situation. Like I'm in love with this boy and he makes one of the most uncomfortable uncomfortable comments like I've ever heard in front of my entire family. So she did tell her mom that incident did make her really uncomfortable and her mom obviously agreed. And this was kind of the beginning of the end of the relationship. Becca really saw the situation as what I would call eye opening. And Sonia was obviously in a tough place because this kid she once really liked, well, he was showing his true colors and it was becoming increasingly more clear that he was a narcissist and a really scary one being that he was only 15 at the time. I can imagine, a parent in this situation would feel pretty helpless. Sonia knew that her daughter was smart and would make the right decision, but she couldn't force her daughter to end this relationship and she just kind of had to wait it out and like see what Becca would decide to do. It was clear though that Becca was considering breaking up with Josh after this happened. So Josh would start these like weekly meetups with his buddies at a local cafe every weekend and through these meetups, it was pretty clear that he and Becca were like drifting further and further apart from one another. To make things worse, while Josh seemed to be super close to Becca and her family in private, he was just like super awful to her at school. He was always trying to make it a point that they didn't actually look like a real couple in front of their peers. Um, if you're listening, red flag, red flag, red freaking flag. If your partner doesn't want to claim you in public, there's a problem. There's a huge problem, okay? So now these two actually only dated for like three to four months, but we all know that a three to four month relationship while you're a teenager is like three to four years in adult life, right? It's really serious. So after dating these months, Josh comes over to Becca's house like any other day. He hangs out with her family and they're cracking jokes and they're just hanging out with each other. It was a good night, which is why it would be really difficult for Becca to understand. And what happened next. Almost immediately after leaving her house that night, Josh would send Becca a message breaking up with her. First, what a coward little turd. And second, if you're a teenager or just a human being in general listening to this podcast, don't do this. Don't pretend all day that you're fine and then send them a text message to break up with them. With that being said, I mean, he's a narcissist, so that probably was a contributing factor. Now, in typical narcissist turd face form, Josh would end up spreading rumors as to why he broke up with Becca. He would tell his friends that she was trying to trick him into getting her pregnant, when in reality, Becca was actually refusing to have unprotected sex with him, and his little ego got mad he also would go and tell other friends that he had actually broken up with her because he thought that she was going around and telling people that he had raped her. Guys, I cannot hear what really happened is that this little boy's ego got smashed when she told him she wasn't comfortable with a sexual relationship moving forward. And so he decided he was going to rewrite the narrative to fit what made him feel better, which just describes him because he's a disgusting little turd waffle. Now, Becca is absolutely crushed by this. I mean, her heart, is broken, yes. She had been considering breaking up with Josh too, but come on, we have all been there. Teenage romances are rough. And when they end, it can honestly be just devastating. To make matters worse, Josh took this opportunity to just like entirely bully and belittle Becca in any way that he could, which is so weird because he broke up with her. And also he started like immediately dating someone right thereafter. So I don't know what his obsession was here. He was just absolutely awful to her, you guys. He started spreading those rumors about her in school and community and he would publicly belittle and embarrass her in front of her friends and basically his goal was to just like completely alienate her from everyone surrounding her and what broke my heart the most about this is that becca she still loved him through all of that and wanted to reconcile their relationship and what I wouldn't give to go back to my own teenage self and explain just how not worth our time boys like these are but again you gotta grow through it you know so Josh would start doing something really disturbing as he continued to bully Becca he started saying that he was going to kill her to his friends and like yeah I know sometimes we all say like oh I'm gonna kill them in a passive fashion when we're angry or upset, but this, this wasn't like that at all. He would start to name exact ways that he was going to kill Becca. His friends continued to think that he was just joking and like blowing off some steam, but it just kept getting weirder. Also, if your friend is giving you exact descriptions on how he would like to kill someone, that's not a joke and you need to get them help. So Josh talked about getting her on a bridge and pushing her off because he knew she couldn't swim. What the heck? So he also talked about poisoning her, which oddly enough, around this time in 2010, Becca started getting really sick. She would frequently faint and black out, and despite running all kinds of tests, doctors never could figure out what was wrong with her until suddenly one day she was just better it was definitely weird and call me a conspiracy theorist but i wouldn't be even a little bit surprised if josh had been poisoning her during this time now as becca got better her life really started to look up she actually started dating a new boy who was also named josh his name was josh Humphreys, and becca really liked him and she was enjoying her new relationship but you know who wasn't though her ex-boyfriend Josh Davies. So this idiot was jealous of her new relationship and I think he was specifically jealous of the fact that her new boyfriend was becoming close to Becca's family and that really tore at his narcissistic arrogant heart, you know? So her new relationship with Josh Humphreys, while it really didn't last but like a couple of months because dumb Josh kept playing with her heart and making her think that he wanted her back and I honestly hate this for her. I remember being a teenage girl and being just so wrapped up in my ex. And even though I knew he is absolutely no good for me, it's like a fly being attracted to a light, right? I just Couldn't stay away. And I feel like this was a very similar circumstance for Becca. So this disgusting pig lets his jealousy and rage continue to grow against Becca. And again, like why? He texts his friend Liam and he says, Quote, What would you do if I kill her? To which his friend responds, Quote, I'd buy you breakfast. Now, I am only hoping in this scenario that the friend didn't take him like remotely seriously and was just messing around with a stupid response. But with that being said, Josh had up enough red flags at this point that he was practically wearing them as a costume and he was hardcore doing weird things and his friends were like yeah meh i mean that's just josh no what is wrong with you on october 21st 2010 josh would send another text to that same friend and this is where like i lose all hope in humanity josh says quote don't say anything but you might owe me breakfast dot 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 and his friend responds best text i've ever read mate if it's true, I'm happy to pay for your breakfast. What the flying if? Like y'all, if you have friends like these, get out now, move along, find new friends. So the next day, Josh texts Becca like completely out of nowhere. Like keep in mind, he'd been treating her like garbage for the last few months and they hadn't really spoken in a while. But I want to be clear that even though they hadn't spoken much, again, he was her first quote unquote love. And we all know how that is. And we all know how hard it is to detach from that person. So she probably wasn't making the best decisions. When Becca gets this text from Josh, she's actually like really excited. And Josh tells her that he really wants to meet up and reconcile. He wanted to talk about their relationship and basically talk about getting back together. Just thinking about how Becca had to have been feeling in this moment breaks my heart, that teenage love bug where you're so overwhelmed with excitement that you really aren't thinking through the reality of the situation. Becca was so excited about meeting up with Josh that she actually went out and bought a new outfit and they decided to meet up in this woodsy location that was like a popular hangout spot, right? So the next day, which was October 23rd, 2010, Becca wakes up just so excited, right? She woke up extra early so she could spend as much time as she needed to get ready and impress Josh. She was singing and dancing the entire time, which just breaks my heart because as you can imagine, everything that happens next is not good. Becca was hoping that this meetup would be like the one of her dreams, the one where she gets back together with her ex-boyfriend and they would ride off into the sunset together. But unfortunately, that would not be the case. That day, Josh tells his mom that he's leaving to go have breakfast with some of his friends, which he actually does go and do. And when he's leaving that breakfast, he turns around to his friends and he smiles and he says quote the time has come. Again, these friends have had ample opportunity to A, either get their friend help or B, like report him to someone. And they're just completely feeding into his sick thoughts. Like what in the world? So Becca tells her mom about her plans that her and Josh had made to meet at Aberconfig that day. In the past, Josh had talked about hanging out in the woods alone with his friends. And Sonia remembers telling Becca, like, don't you Ever go into the woods alone with that boy? Ever. She knew like something wasn't right about him at that point, you know? And in this case, I can imagine like she wasn't thrilled in the first place at the prospect of them possibly getting back together. But even though she thought that Becca's heart would be broken, she never imagined that Josh was going to do what he was going to do. So the day kept on going by without any word from Josh until 1 p.m. And he texts her and he's ready to meet up. And Becca calls her aunt to take her to the park that they were meeting at. And she's just so excited. But once she got there... There was no Josh. She was like sad, obviously, and frustrated. And she's waiting and waiting. And she decides to call her mom at this point because it's been like an hour and there's still no Josh. So Becca ends up staying on the phone with her mom until she told her mom, Oh my gosh, there he is. I see him walking down the road right now. And Sonya's like, Okay, I love you. Have a good day. You know, they hang up. Okay, guys. So what ends up happening next is not entirely clear because it's coming from Josh himself. So there's that. But also we didn't get a full like testimony about what happened that day until the actual trial. So Josh tells investigators that they walked for a while and then they actually ended up going to his house and just like, you know, hanging out for a little bit. Becca would even excuse herself for a minute and go to call her sister and kind of give her like the 411 explaining that it was really going well and she had like super big hopes that they were going to get back together. Eventually they would leave Josh's house and they decided to start walking towards the woods. Like, Nearby his home, where Josh would lead her into this isolated area. I am so sure that Becca at this point is thinking, you know, oh my gosh this is it. This is where we have a romantic moment and we get back together. What happens next again is unclear. They were in the woods talking and Becca would end up turning away from Josh for a moment. And this is when Josh would leap up, grab her by the throat, and then he just repeatedly hit her over and over and over again. While Becca was down on the ground, face down. He actually attempted to break her neck, but he couldn't do it. And Becca was like obviously screaming at this point and Josh began to panic. So he picked up a very large, very heavy rock and he smashed Becca's skull in. The attack was obviously incredibly brutal and Becca would die very quickly. Can we just pause for a second and talk about how much of an idiot this kid is? He just brutally murdered this girl behind his home because absolutely, you know, no one would search there for her. He killed her and then he just walked off and went back home as if nothing at all had just happened. You cannot tell me this kid is not a sociopath. So nearly immediately, Josh would begin working on an alibi. But again, this kid is a total and complete idiot, so nothing he did would be beneficial for him. Once he got home, he changed his Facebook status to "chilling with friends, saying that they were watching some, like, dancing TV show. And then this douche canoe sends text messages to Becca's phone saying basically, like, oh, hey girl, um, you know, people are worried about you. Where are you? Better get in touch with someone. What? First of all, Josh, Becca's mother knew, she knew that she was with your stupid self. And second of all, thank you for doing that because now you cannot claim insanity in court idiot. So as the day continues, Becca's aunt Linda, the one that dropped her off earlier in the day, well, she is getting worried about Becca because she was supposed to be the one to pick her up, but Becca still hadn't gotten in contact with her, which wasn't like Becca at all. So Linda ends up calling Sonia, Becca's mom, and just expressing to her like her concern and trying to figure out what to do. And Linda had a pretty terrible feeling about all of this. But she didn't want to freak out Sonia. Though she did tell her, "Becca's not coming home tonight." Like she just, she just felt that in her soul. Sonia, of course, in an effort to not panic, is like, "No, of course she's coming home. Something must have just come up." Then Sonia remembers, "Oh wait, Becca did tell me that if it started getting too late, that she was just going to ask Josh's mom for a ride home." So really that's probably what's happening here. So her and Linda kind of get off the phone and things die down for a little bit. But later that night, Linda calls Sonia again and tells her like, hey, I actually just called Josh's dad. And Josh's dad tells me, I actually haven't seen Josh or Becca whatsoever today. And immediately, you know, Linda's heart like falls into her butt and she knew that her instincts were right and something was terribly wrong here. So now panic starts to take over Sonia and Linda. And at this point, they're basically calling Becca on repeat, but it's going unanswered. And I want to note here that Becca actually had her mom's phone because this was like early 2000s. So let me do a little history lesson real fast for my younger listeners. Often if you had a cell phone and you were a teenager especially, you would buy minutes for your phone. Once these minutes ran out, the phone would no longer work. Well, Becca's phone had run out of minutes and Sonia didn't want Becca to be without a phone. So she had given her her phone before she had left for the day. So Sonia obviously didn't have a phone because it was with Becca, and she's panicking, trying to get a hold of Becca, and she's having to borrow her brother's cell phone, which was dying, and she was pretty much without communication, just trying to get information from outside sources, right? Sonia would end up actually calling the police that evening at 7.15, reporting Becca as a missing person. So the police would immediately be all, oh, did she just like run away? Was she just partying and drunk and like didn't want to come home and get in trouble? And Sonia's telling them like, no, first of all, her and I have a great relationship relationship and I know she wouldn't be out drunk because she doesn't drink. And second of all, I know my kid and this is not her. Something is seriously wrong here and we need to search for her. The police would kind of ignore that and they decided that they were going to go and check regular party spots instead of, you know, really looking for her, which is really annoying. I get the police probably get called frequently for missing teens and then they turn up in these kind of situations, but this was different, you know? The search for Becca would officially begin after Sonia had called the police. Even though the police weren't being super helpful, all of their friends and family would jump to the task and start searching for Becca. One of the first stops that they made was to Josh Humphrey's house. This is not dumb Josh. This was the boy she dated for a few months post- dumb Josh. Unfortunately, no one would be home to talk to. So while everyone is searching, Sonia stays home, right? Because two things. One, she wanted to be there if Becca came home, but two, she had been charging her brother's phone that had died. And when it started working again, she started calling Becca and Josh's phone over and over and over again. And of course, there was no answer from Becca, but dumb Josh is literally sitting there watching this desperate mother call his phone over and over again and not answering. I cannot stand this kid. So Sonia would try to call Josh Humphreys too, but it turns out that he was actually at a club that night. And every time his phone would ring and he would answer, because remember, he wouldn't recognize this number. Sonia was calling him from her brother's phone. He- couldn't understand who was on the other line because it was so loud in this club. So he just kept hanging up on Sonia, which infuriating, but this poor kid had no idea what was going on. Sonia finally somehow manages to get hold of dumb Josh at his grandma's house. And at this point, it's like 930 in the evening. So Josh immediately starts lying to Sonia and tells her basically, huh, weird. I have no idea where Becca could possibly be. You know, we actually didn't even end up hanging out today and she probably went to hang out with Josh Humphreys. Well, Sonia immediately knows this is a lie, right? Because she was on the phone with Becca when Becca saw Josh walking down the street towards her. So Sonia gives him like another opportunity to tell her the truth and was like, so you didn't see Becca at all today. And dumb Josh would say no because he's dumb. So the next morning, Sonia would call the police like, "Hey, what the heck is going on here?" And police would actually tell Sonia that the officer that was in charge of Becca's case, well, he had just been called to a rapid response, which as a mom, I would immediately want to throw up. Sonia knew, she just knew that this had to do with Becca. Earlier in the morning, while well, police, they had been searching for Becca. I guess they had finished checking the little local party spots and they got a tip and they ended up finding Becca face down in that area of the woods that her and dumb Josh went to the day before. Police would tell Sonia that they ended up finding Becca because of dumb Josh's friend, Liam. You remember Liam? This was the friend that was texting with dumb Josh before he killed Becca, telling him that he would buy him breakfast if he did, in fact, kill Becca. I have so many issues with Liam, because honestly, I think he is a turd waffle just like Josh. So how did Liam have this information to even give to the police? Well, the night before, Liam told his father information about Becca and what Josh had done. Because you see, after murdering Becca, Josh would actually call his friends. Liam's dad, thank God, decided to call the police with this information. So the day before, after he killed Becca, Josh texted his friends and they asked, are you still with Becca? And Josh replied, define with. His friend would reply, I want all the details. Are you kidding me? Is this real life? I don't care at all if his friends initially thought all of this talk of murdering Becca was a joke in the beginning. This isn't playing into a conversation with Josh or anything like that. They were excited about the prospect of her murder. They are just as sick as he is. And I honestly feel like they should have been charged with something as well in regards to this case because they knew what was about to happen. And they had plenty of time to tell somebody what happened. So after the text exchange, Liam and another friend named Daniel Nennis, well, they went over to Dumb Josh's house and he would ask them if they wanted to see Becca. I'm not kidding. Like this actually happened. Well it turns out that Liam was actually on crutches at the time. So he couldn't get out into the woods. But Daniel went with Josh into the woods to view Becca's lifeless body. Daniel would later say that he felt like he had stepped into a cold shower or a horror movie. Josh wasn't upset or anything, but Daniel claims that he was immediately upset, which I don't know how much I truly believe that. Police would tell Sonia that they arrested not just one boy, but two boys for the murder of Becca, Josh and Daniel Nennis, the boy that went into the woods with Josh. And Sonia actually couldn't believe that Josh would be the one responsible for Becca's death. And she fully thought that like Daniel had done it because I guess Daniel had a crush on Becca previously and Becca had turned him down and it crushed his ego because I guess these boys just can't handle rejection. So how did Daniel get arrested too? Well, when Liam told police about what had happened, he also included that Daniel had went into the woods with Josh to view her body. And I don't know the exact details of what Liam told investigators, but it seems convenient that he acts like he had absolutely no part in this. Boy, if you were not on crutches you would have been walking right next to Daniel into those woods, you pathetic little turd. So this coward that he is, Josh, blames the murder on Daniel and he continues to blame him like for a long time. And then Josh would tell investigators that he was in fact in the woods with Becca and Daniel that day, but that it was Daniel that killed Becca as a prank. And then he would give zero explanation as to why he didn't intervene because that makes so much sense. Investigators weren't dumb though, and Josh Davies was officially charged with murder while Daniel was let off. While Sonia waited for the trial, she obviously waited in agony because she was a witness in the trial. She couldn't be given really much additional information to protect her testimony. It wasn't actually until the trial that she got the full details on what actually happened to her daughter that day. Josh Davies would be convicted of Becca's murder on July 27th 2011, Unusually, the court won't provide media with names of a minor, but in this case, they felt the crime was so severe that they actually did release Josh's name to the community. Josh was sentenced to a minimum of 14 years in prison. He would continue to try and shorten the sentence by being like a model prisoner, and eventually, he would admit to Becca's murder in 2018, saying, yeah, I did it. So now, here's what's going on today. This kid is up for parole in 2024. Yes, you heard me correctly. After serving less than 14 years for this Bruno murder, he is about to be up for parole. Sonia is actively working to make sure that Josh is not paroled. He shouldn't be paroled. And she has been very vocal and has said, quote, he will kill again if he's freed. And I fully, fully believe her. If you're wondering how you could help with keeping Josh Davies in prison, Sonia has actually started a petition on change.org and I am going to attach that in the show notes. Well, guys, that's the case for today. I hope you enjoyed getting ready with me today and I hope that you have the best day ever. Stay aware and stay safe out there. Bye.